Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. And it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Please say with me the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is written by Howard Thurman. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you alive and go do it. Because what the world needs are people who have come alive. This is a non-credal denomination, meaning we don't have a, a list of things we believe that we say together every Sunday. And some people are curious. You have people with backgrounds in all the major world religions and practices from all the major world religions, including neo-paganism, including secular humanism, including just flat atheists and um, people who are still questioning what, what holds you together. And there are many things which hold us together, but one thing that this congregation uses to guide its feet as it runs the race, this congregation wrote its mission statement and says it every Sunday together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Now it's time for the story for all ages. Will the young and the young at heart with good knees come up if you care to? This is a story from a country that's far away from here called Japan. This is a story about a little boy who was born to a family of farmers. They had a lot of kids. They had seven kids. And they were all expected to help on the farm. But this boy was a little bit small for his age, and he wasn't very strong. And all he really wanted to do was draw. Does anybody like to draw? And so all he wanted to do was draw, and all he wanted to draw was cats. He drew fat cats and skinny cats and hairy cats and cats with really smooth fur and cats with curly tails and cats with long straight tails. And he drew sleeping cats, and he drew awake cats and mean cats and nice cats, all different kinds of cats. And his dad got a little frustrated with him and said, I just don't, I don't think you're going to be very useful on the farm here. Maybe you are the child who should study with the monks. So mom and dad took him to the temple where the monks lived so he could study religion. But he didn't want to study religion. He wanted to draw cats. He wanted to draw cats. And so in the scroll where he was supposed to be studying about the religion, in the margin of the scroll, you know what that means on the side where the writing is not, he wrote, he drew cats. And when they were supposed to be chanting, the monks in that region chanted like this. 
like sounded like that. It's very, um, it makes your body shake the way they do it. It's very cool. But he didn't do that. He just sat there and drew cats. And if there wasn't any paper, he drew cats in the dirt. And if there wasn't any dirt, he just drew cats, scratched them on the floor with his fingernail. Cats, cats, cats. And pretty soon the head priest just said, son, this isn't working out. You don't fit in here very much. You need to leave. And so the boy was too embarrassed to go home. So he just set out on the road. And by this time, he was old enough to be on his own. He was like 13. (laughs) And so he took his little bundle of possessions, and he walked down the road, and he kept walking, and he would sleep out in the fields because the weather was nice that time of year. But pretty soon it started to get cold, and he came to a town, and in the middle of the town he saw a temple, and the temple had a light on in it, and he said to someone passing, hey, what kind of monks are in that temple? And they said, oh, no monks in that temple. That is a bad place to go. Because you know who lives there? The big goblin king rat. And the rat is terrible to us. He's terrorizing the whole countryside. He's eating all the eggs that our chickens lay. He's ruining our chickens, too, in ways that I won't describe. And he is just causing havoc. And sometimes he bites. We're all scared and terrified of him. That's right. And the children would scream and run away because the rat would be like, yeah. And he thought, okay, I don't have any place else to sleep and it's cold, so I'm going to go in there anyway. So he was in there and he got a little bored because there was nothing. There was just dust, dust all over the floor, just white walls with nothing on them, nothing, not a thing. And so guess what he did all over the white walls? He drew cats all over the white walls. He drew fat cats and skinny cats and curly-haired cats and long-haired cats and short-haired cats and awake cats and asleep cats and mean cats and nice cats, all different kinds of cats, all over the walls of that temple. And then he went to sleep, and he found a tiny little cupboard to sleep in, and he curled up. Sometimes you like to get into small cupboards and curl up. Sometimes you just curl up and it makes you feel all cozy and you go to sleep. Well, he shut the door of the cupboard, which is really not a good idea, but he shut it and went to sleep. And in the night, he heard banging and screaming and screeching and thrashing and all kinds of terrible noises. I know. And he said, is that a storm? That doesn't sound like a storm. It sounds like lots of banging. Well, he just hunkered down in that cabinet and he said, I am very frightened, but I am strong and I know how to draw cats and I am going to sleep through the night and not worry. So he slept and got up in the morning and in the morning he opened the door of his cabinet and in the middle of the floor of the temple was the rat and he was dead like this. And he was the size of a cow. This was an enormous rat. And he thought, 
man, what happened? And he looked at the drawings of his cats on the wall, and one of them had a big rat tail just sticking out of his mouth. And one of them had a little piece of rat ear sticking out of his mouth, and the other had rat goo on his whiskers. And so he figured out what happened. What happened? Those cats fought with the rat, and they saved him. And they saved everybody in the village. Those cats he drew, and the people in the village were so happy. And they said, you are our hero, and we love that you draw cats. (laughs) And you can live in this temple for the rest of your life. And so he did, and he became a great artist. And everybody in Japan knew who he was, and they would come to his temple where he lived, and they would visit him and buy his art. Our meditation reading this morning is a letter to Agnes DeMille from Martha Graham. There is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one of you in all time, this expression is unique. If you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good it is or how valuable it is or no, or how it compares with other expressions. It is your business to keep it yours, clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You do not even have to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly of the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. No artist is pleased. There is no satisfaction, whatever, at any time. There is only a queer divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than others. This is the time in our service when we breathe together. We plant our feet on the floor and we breathe as deeply as we care to. We follow the breath coming in and out of our bodies. We are seeking that place of stillness deep within. It is by practicing sitting in the stillness that our thoughts become calmer, that our heart grows more open, that we sense our queer divine dissatisfaction more clearly. Let us enter into the silence together. In our story of the boy who drew cats, this is another story in our fairy tale series. He was pushed out of one place after another because he was different, because he had a passion that made him march to the beat of his own drummer. You don't fit in here at the farm, his family said. You don't fit in here at the temple, the monks said. He didn't want to farm, he didn't want to study religion, he wanted to draw cats. And he was that kind of person that 
when he had a passion, he would do it whether it was convenient or not, and he would uh, do it whether he got paid or not, and he would do it whether people were approving or not. I have a friend who loves preaching almost as much as I do, and he said, I'd preach if I had one foot in the fire. (laughs) Maybe, I think probably, most of you have had the experience of being the different one, and you felt that pressure. Most families, most churches, most towns, most countries have a subtle and not-so-subtle ways of, of pushing you out when you don't quite fit. People sometimes just actually turn their backs on you and um, shoulder you out of conversations, or they have many, many techniques from, you know, the church ladies uh, who will give you the stink eye if you're not dressed properly to the kid enforcers who beat you up if you're the weird kid, um, to the government enforcers like death squads in Guatemala who will come after you if you are messing up their culture. And I hope none of you has felt that, but I think that's a vain hope. I cannot talk right now, just tell them. (laughs) And you can always tell when people would rather you not be there. When you're not dressed right or your teeth aren't right, your grammar ain't right, you just can always tell when people are horrified by the way you are. (laughs) And I think it's a mistake that that we make to toss out the different ones. We are more comfortable when everyone's like-minded. We are more comfortable when we're the same, most of us. But when everybody's too much the same, new ideas don't come to the surface, and the cultural assumptions aren't challenged. And... New stuff doesn't really get invented that easily because everybody is just busy uh, conforming to cultural expectations. And some cultures are fiercer about that than others. And some people are better at conforming to cultural expectations than others. Um, Often firstborn kids are better at that. I'm a firstborn kid. I, I know firstborn kids are about doing it right and not making mistakes. And so we look around, we see how do you do it right, and we want to do it, and that's how we do it. And if we make a mistake, it feels like death. Like um, 21 out of the first 23 astronauts in the U.S. were firstborn kids. But secondborn kids have minds that go like this. They don't care so much about not making mistakes. They're a little bit more creative, more, more brave, maybe. Firstborns can be creative, but, you know, we're creative in a very pleasing way. <laughs> <laughs> and we make sure we get paid. Because <laughs> we have to take care of our families. Because family's important. They're your responsibility. you got to take care of everybody, keep everybody safe. If you look at most of the major inventors of the last several centuries, the the biographies of the inventors, you'll find almost all of them are second, third, fourth, seventh born kids. Human beings are part of nature, and nature is like this too. Nature is stronger when there's diversity. 
The Irish potato famine happened because they were planting one kind of potato that was susceptible to the blight. And so a million people starved and a million other people had to leave the country because there was just this one kind of potato. And the farmers had to go back to the more heirloom varieties that they had been planting in order to find potatoes that weren't susceptible to the blight. And if you have a super grain that makes extra high-yield um, corn or wheat or whatever, that's fabulous unless um, there's too little variety in the grain and you get a disease and it kills everything. Apples, grains, potatoes, everything has to have a variety, including human beings. And, you know, this is why we don't marry too close to our family. And even in um, uh, native tribes that are small, the grandmothers are in charge of keeping track of who's related to whom. And they will tell you who your three choices of people to marry are. And you don't want to go against the grandmothers because they know. And they'll keep everything strong and and diverse. A culture needs diversity in order to thrive. There was that book that came out about 15 years ago about how the cultural creatives in a town are needed in order to make the town healthy and that a town without its creatives dies. And there was just a survey that came out of musicians in Austin. Y'all musicians will be interested in this. That, um, that the musicians that make Austin what it is, appealing to so many people that 158 people move here every day. Sorry, I was one of those. And... Um, the musicians can't afford to live in town anymore. So what happens to a town that doesn't make space for its creatives who are never paid the way the people who um, are more cultural conforming are paid? Uh, and there are always exceptions to any of this, so don't sit there making exceptions in your mind because I know there are exceptions. Um, and you, you're welcome to do that if you want to. You just won't hear anything else I say, which is fine. So the boy in our story is small, and he wants to draw, and that is his passion. And most of us know somebody who just didn't do anything their whole teenage year but play the guitar or play the flute or dance and dream of being on So You Think You Can Dance, and they would dance all the time. And um, even though people say to them, you know you won't make any money this way, they are stubborn, which I have said to my second-born son. You know, being a songwriter, there's no money in it. He's like, it's okay, Ma. He comforts me. And I don't want to be that mother. I don't want to be that mother. Because I'm a little artistic myself. But darn it, I found a way to make a living. <laughs> and people who can find a way to do the thing they're passionate about and get paid for it, make a living at it. Those are very blessed, very blessed people. And so even though you don't make a living at it, you have to do that thing that makes you come alive. Howard Thurman, um, this wonderful African-American Baptist theologian, said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is more people who've come alive. I love that quote. The boy is ashamed of his difference. 
He's ashamed of his passion that got him tossed out of one thing and then another thing. And so this, this shame leads him directly to the epicenter of the Goblin Rat King's domain. Now, the Goblin Rat King is a destructive force, a force that chews up and tears apart. And as in all good fairy tales, it's telling us a truth about the inside and about the outside. So everybody's got a goblin rat king that lives right in the middle of their life. It might be um, a, a fear of something, or it might be a terrible experience, or it might be a decision you made about who you are or who the people around you are. And it's destroying, tearing up things inside. And it's your demon. It's one of your demons. And you've got to figure out how to overcome it. And in our culture, the way we overcome things is by will and by strength and by overpowering. And this is the Western way of, and it's a good way. You know, it often works. But the Eastern way of this story is of fighting it in a different way. I don't know how to fight the Goblin Rat King, the outer one, in a peaceful way. I don't understand that. Because the Goblin Rat King is out there devouring in the world and making lots of places a really bad place to live. The Goblin Rat King um, lives where the death squads move around. The Goblin Rat King lives where greed makes people build things that aren't earthquake safe and then people get squished in an in an earthquake or on a floodplain where they get washed away when the water rises. And um, the goblin rat king is, is out there. Sometimes, you know, in the world, he's been us trying to spread our way of government or uh, spread our, um, our corporate profits to benefit our, you know, the little old lady who's the shareholder. Um, we have to we have to take care of her, and so we have to make sure that she's making money so our corporations do well overseas so she can make money. And sometimes we do it by force and power, and it's a mistake, or it creates terror. And sometimes there are groups that are goblin rat kings out there that are creating terror because they think it's good for the whole. They think it will purify the land. They think they're freedom fighters or they think they're religious zealots and they think that God wants them to, to do away with all the people who are bad and make things safe for the people who are good. We're going to purge the land. Anytime you get that self-righteous feeling like you want to purge the land, just stop. Because everybody who's doing terrible things thinks that they're doing a good thing. There's probably not a terrorist out there that's going, I'm an evil person. No, they're going, this must be done in order to do good for the world. Oh, my gosh. And when people start trying to make things safe for the nice people by squishing the bad people, This is a problem because they don't ask me who the nice people are and who the bad people are. Because I could tell them. (laughs) And too often, governments around the world or churches around the world or cities and towns around the world, they feel like the nice people are the people like them. The people with the right skin tone and the people with the right amount of money and the people with the right amount of power are the good people who should be protected. And the people who should, who should be um, protected from are those, those unstable 
poor people or those queer people or those people who are so mouthy and always yapping on about their rights to education and health care and food and clean water and like they have this right to all that. They're, they're taking. We got to protect the makers from the takers. We got to, you know, we just, we have a stable enough country so that, you know, our, our politicians can snipe at each other pretty harshly and still nobody gets shot. But that is not true in most parts of the world. There are things you cannot say without getting shot. And we are very blessed that we have such a stable culture where everyone is um, relatively uh, happy, except those people that are getting shot by the cops. But, you know, except for them, everybody's pretty happy. Except there are people who, anyway, I could go on. And we do the same thing inside. We try to separate the nice bits from the bad bits inside ourselves. And so we're pretty brutal with our enforcement against the parts of ourselves that we think are bad. And sometimes this boy might have felt that this art part of him was bad and tried to squish it. I know there are lots of gay people who go through the process of growing up gay, especially if they weren't born like, um, you know, in the 2000s. They spent a lot of time trying to squish that part of themselves. And lo and behold, maybe it's a good part. Maybe it's a good part of themselves because it's there. It's part of their own uniqueness. See, in the, in the Eastern tradition that is the context of this story, um, it is the not doing that accomplishes things as well as doing. And you need to know when to not do. When just, don't just do something, stand there. And they tell stories like in the Tao Te Ching, they'll say, if you're grilling a fish, you poke it too much, that ruins it. So just grill the fish, leave it alone, let it grill. If you're running a country, just let it run. Don't poke at it too much. If you're running a family, just let people do. Don't, don't make rules about this and that. From a culture where there are lots and lots of rules, I know, it's ironic. And maybe you can just do what you do and follow your passion and let nature come through you in that way that Agnes DeMille and Martha Graham were talking about. Let nature come through you in a way that it cannot come through anybody else. You're part of nature. Nature needs you, you with your very particular socioeconomic economic status, your particular uh, braces or non-braces teeth, your good or not good grammar, your tattoos or no tattoos, whatever you are, you know, you are you and nature needs you in order to come through you and heal itself. And so we cherish differences even in ourselves. And we think that maybe there's a way of overcoming the demons, not by coming in like the Avengers and smish, smash, crut. Not that there's anything wrong with the Avengers. I love them, everyone. But um, you don't have to overcome with force and power all the time. Sometimes you overcome more with art. Sometimes you overcome more with dance, painting, sports, conversation. Sometimes you do the thing you love, the gardening, the building, 
the figuring, the drawing, the dancing, and that, that heals the imbalance. I've been doing a lot of thinking since we offered shelter to this woman from Guatemala whose passion got her kicked out of one place after another. She's an LGBT activist, and she's a queer woman. That's her word. And her partner identifies as trans. And so this knocks out most sanctuary possibilities for her, for them. And sanctuary can only be given by a church. It's an ancient, ancient tradition. Churches provide sanctuary to refugees, and the government doesn't come in and snatch them so far. And so... I've been thinking about shelter, and I've sort of had the stone song, Give Me Shelter, that you, that you heard before the beautiful Stravinsky started. Um, and you can mark this off your bucket list to have the stones and Stravinsky on the same day at church. <laughs> so I've been thinking about shelter, and I've been thinking about a world that's so unstable that, um, you know, Mary Clayton, the backup singer on this, she can sing, you know, War Children! It's just a shot away. It's just a shot away. And I think, what does that mean? It's just a shot away. And then I think literally, because I have a literal mind, because I'm firstborn, Virgo, Presbyterian. Um, (laughs) And I think, well, the Civil War started with one shot, a little Citadel cadet, um, Fort Sumter, shot and started the war. Uh, World War I started with one shot. A guy armed with it by a government uh, official got lucky, got close enough to Archduke Ferdinand to shoot him and his beloved wife. That started that war. And I think, so you have to have a really unstable, out-of-balance situation for a war to start with just a shot. And then maybe it's true that, that just a small effort, just a small thing, just one little boy following his passion to draw cats, one person following their passion might knock things the other way. And the great bard, um, Keith Richards and uh, Mick Jagger, they said, you know, love, children, it's just a kiss away. It's just a kiss away. So I think um, that's what they were saying, that, that everything is affected in a great way by a small effort. And so what I'm hoping is that with our small effort to live out our primary goal of being a hospitable church and um, standing with the people at St. Andrew's Presbyterian who are standing with us in this sanctuary effort. Um, I'm hoping that we can heal some part of nature that is out of balance. I hope that we can have the experience of conquering some of our demons with art instead of power. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace.
This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.